Welcome to Friars and Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Baseball has gone worldwide. Around the world, around. Oh, <laughs> Padres players are hitting home runs on every continent. You know, it, the funny thing is, I'm I'm Team DR because of Manny and, and Juan. I'm Team DR. Like we're rooting for Team DR. And it's, don't forget Luis Garcia. You know, Luis Garcia. We saw he pitched the other day. Um, uh, and. You know, I don't. I feel I need to qualify this by saying, like, why am I not, you know, Team USA? Uh, because a lot of the guys on that team are guys that I normally root against. Right. Like, you know, I mean, I, Goldschmidt's a great guy, but he's on the Cardinals. And Arenado, well, he's kind of a, you know, he's on the, you know, the Cardinals. Well, it's like it's like you got to be Team Manny or Team right. Arenado, and we're right. Team Manny because he's our guy. He's yeah. our captain, and plus, I just I love watching him play. He makes everything yeah. look so easy. Arenado makes everything look difficult, and I think that's part of why everybody thinks he's so good. He's he's amazing. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Really but, good. Yeah, but man, he's just so smooth and so cool, and it makes it all look so easy. Uh, anyway. So yeah. today, Manny Machado hit a home run. Juan Soto hit a home run. Uh, ha Sung Kim hit a grand slam. He's got, what, three home runs, I think, for Team Korea so far? Yeah, and four hits, three home runs. <laughs> yeah. And but he, he even went Oppo Taco. He went yeah. to right center with one of them. Yeah. Uh, team Korea is eliminated. They got eliminated. Um, they are out, but they did beat the heck out of, team, uh, out of China um, and scored the most runs in a WBC game, period. Yeah, time. they mercy ruled him. Was that the fourth end of four innings? I think was when they called that game. I it's on Fox Two, and I don't get Fox Two unless I upgrade. Well, they were up by twenty. Yeah, and there's no mercy rule in Major League Baseball, but there is in the World Baseball Classic. We've seen the mercy rule come into effect a couple of times, but I've never, I don't remember seeing a game that's like twenty yeah. up a twenty run differential. That's crazy. Yeah. But I guess well, that's what happens when you've got Team China, who only has a couple of players on their roster that have any major league experience. There's only a handful of guys that have any pro experience outside of China. So, I mean, the the disparity and the competition level. Yeah. But that's part of what makes it interesting, though, that you have yeah. like the Czech Republic comes out here and a bunch of and the stories about these guys that this guy's a barber and that guy's a barista somewhere. And now they're out here playing against, you know, superstar <laughs> Major Strike, League Baseball player dude, striking out Shohei Otani. Like that guy's gonna yeah. go tell his grandchildren, like, see that guy? Yeah, you walk into the Hall of Fame. I struck him out. I struck him out during WBC. And to kind of go back to China, like it, it just and they've made leaps and bounds of uh, of where that program has has been in the past. And although they have a long, longer way to go, and it seems like some of these other European teams, even Pakistan, Czechoslovakia beat Pakistan to qualify. So, like, we almost had a Pakistani baseball team that then they are national cricket is their national religion, you know, pretty much. And to have them almost make the World Baseball Classic is phenomenal. And to hear baseball in Czechoslovakia in the same breath and Great Britain, mm-hmm. Great Britain, like, it's just <laughs> it's just phenomenal. And um, the growth of the game has just been so fun. And, and this year with the WBC finally coming back, uh, it's great to see, and all the other teams, your team Mexico, your team Puerto Rico is always a power. Uh, Venezuela is a juggernaut right now. Yes, they are. Absolute beast. And I'm scared. I, I'm scared if I'm USA, or, you know, if I'm Team Dominican, and if either one of those, both of those teams should advance. They they should both advance out of that pool. But dang, Venezuela. It almost seems like Team USA isn't taking the competition as seriously 
as some of the other teams. Like you see how right. and and the US guys, I don't want to say they're going through the paces, right. um, but it I mean this is the time of year they're used to getting warmed up for spring training and just kind yeah. of they're just ramping things up. And next thing you know, it's it's pedal to the metal, full yeah. on competition. Yeah. And also, you know, with the pitching staff, most of the elite guys aren't there. Like where's Max Scherzer? Where's Justin Verlander? Where's uh Corbin Burns? Like we don't have the elite arms that we've had in the past. We talk um, about Nick Martinez is out there. Absolutely. Nick Martinez gave up two runs in the first inning. And and as good as he is, and we love him so much, he's a number four, number five guy on, you know, on a on a on a playoff team that's probably going to make it close deep into the playoffs. Right. He's a number four guy. So, you know, and you have Adam Wainwright, who is, you know, love Adam Wainwright, but once again, he's on the back end of his career. Oh, very much so. Getting by with that nasty curveball Mm -hmm. and pitching. So you know how we're getting blown up is is the pitching isn't there, and like and like you said, um, I feel with the power guys like with your Goldschmidt's, with your Arenado, those guys that are a little more power kind of based, it takes them a little bit longer to get to get in the groove, right? So, so they're only what maybe twenty five thirty at bats, you know, true at bats in, into into getting their season going, and even if yeah. they tried to ramp up a little earlier, getting that game action from the guys that have been playing Dominican League all all freaking winner mm-hmm. they're on all the other teams it's nails you know like they're way more advanced and you see that in team japan where they're just i mean it's a weaker pool but they're just getting out of their season and they're just or they're in mid-season form well ultimately i feel like the the greater goal here is we talk so much about baseball making these short-term cash grab type of decisions yeah. and this is one thing that kind of it goes the opposite direction of that that this seems to be an initiative to grow the sport worldwide Um, and baseball really is an it's an American North and South American and slightly Asian sport right now. And China or or not uh, Chinese Taipei and, um, and Japan and Korea go crazy for baseball. And then most of the Americas goes crazy for baseball, but so many people live in Europe and Africa and the whole rest of Asia don't really pay attention to baseball at all. Right. Uh, and so we think of the World Series being this big deal. And they're like, huh, whatever. Look at the World it's, Cup. Right. It's <laughs> you, you know, but that's kind of what baseball's yeah. trying to go after. And part of that is getting the kid from the Czech Republic that never really knew anything about baseball. Now for a week or two. There's there's news. There's something yeah. happening, and that might inspire that kid to pick up a ball and a and a glove and yeah. go go try. And maybe he'll like it. Maybe he'll yeah. find something he wants to follow. Yeah, and he'll be following. Yeah, and the, the guy to kind of spark that imagination is a guy who who isn't playing in major league, wasn't drafted. You know, so it's even more attainable of a goal of like this guy never played professional baseball yet. He's good enough to play on the world stage. Maybe I can do that. So it is that draw of like, you see the major league guys are like, oh, I want to be that someday, but we know how hard that is to be. But if I'm just some guy that loves baseball and played it and is good enough to play on the world stage for my country, heck yeah, that's an attainable goal. And it is a long-term thing. You see that in Africa right now with, with a couple of the, um, you know, with the academy, I can't remember the academy and, some of the other guys that you see uh, in Africa trying to put things together, Uganda Federation, I think has a uh, has a Twitter page and they they show stuff like that. So the game is growing, is getting a lot better, but it also is a lot of it is minor league guys. And we'll be talking a little bit later on with Sam Dykstra from MLB Pipeline, where we'll talk about the Padres uh, top top thirty. Well, we talk about the top 
what five or eight. Uh, we go in depth with Sam Dykstra, and then we also go into some WBC chat with uh, Sam Dykstra from MLB. Right. So part of the growing the sport globally isn't necessarily about finding the next superstar. Right. It's it's about cultivating interest in the game. So when I was playing Little League, when I was 8, 10, 12 years old, I never had any aspirations of playing at any level. I knew that I wasn't going to play for my high school team. I knew I wasn't very good, but... I was fascinated by the sport. I started collecting baseball cards. I was listening to it, watching what I could and reading, you know, in magazines and all this. And that's what cultivated me as a consumer. And now I'm invested in the San Diego Padres. I've got a season ticket package and I know that we're going to go and eat and drink and buy merch and all that stuff. That's, that's really spreading the sport globally. Yeah. Now you got somebody on the other side of the world and they're buying some subscriptions so that they can stream the the sport. They're ordering the stuff so that they can wear their favorite team stuff in the middle of some country where nobody knows what baseball is. Yeah, that's that's what really growing the sport is more than cultivating the next superstar from Uzbekistan. You know what I mean? Hey, he's out there. He just hasn't been born yet. Right, right. Finding that magic arm. Yeah, there's Steve Nebraska out there with a 110 mile an hour fastball. Steve Nebraska. <laughs> oh, hey, shout out to Steve Nebraska for uh, Brendan Fraser for winning winning an Oscar last night. Uh, was that his name in the movie? Steve Nebraska was the character in the Scout. Okay, all right. I didn't remember I that. Never- yeah, he was, never... he was he was some random dude in the middle of Mexico, and this guy had to go ride on a truck to go see him. And he found this amazing guy, and they brought him to Yankee Stadium, and it was the World Series. And they brought him in by helicopter, and he threw an 81 pitch perfect game, like 20, 27 up, 27 down, 27 strikeouts. I, it was the most ridiculous story. But that was Brendan Fraser, and now all these years later. He's got that golden trophy on his shelf. Yeah, that was fantastic. We left before we went over to friend's house last night to watch most of the Oscars and watch anything, everything, everywhere, all at once, just run the table on top of another movie that we did see. Both those movies we saw streaming was All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, I've um, heard nothing but amazing things about that. I haven't really seen it really good. It's really good. I never saw the original, which was, I mean, you know, it's dated, but it's still a great story. But you you, you turn that into a modern movie, it's phenomenal. Um, it, it's incredible. But congratulations to Brendan Fraser. We haven't seen The Whale yet. Uh, it's a very hard. It, it's hard. We watched uh, Women Talking, which was, um, I thought was just going to be really, really hard. It's pretty bad and pretty depressing and pretty intense. But I, I see the whale and I see the trailers and I see parts of it. And I'm like, that's going to be, I'm going to have to, like, I get emotionally invested in good movies. So we just don't want to be like upset for that long with a really good movie like the whale. Yeah. <laughs> well, yet. we're not, we're not yeah. here to get upset and emotional about stuff unless we're getting excited about baseball. Dude, and we're getting excited about what's going on with the storm. So, All right. So tell us what the storm are doing to make the fan and the player experience better. So check it out. So the storm have renovated. First and foremost, impactful change comes in the form of an entirely new structure above Thunder Mountain, the hill. So right above Thunder Mountain, um, where the kids, you see the kids sliding down. The, this new so building, you're talking in foul territory up the yeah, first foul base territory. Side. I think right there where there, there's tables there where like a lot of the minor league guys sit and people will eat. And there's then, like a playground for the kids and stuff. Right, right. So there's a new building there. It is going to addition to our first base clubhouse and includes a complete renovation of the original space. 
This new structure includes an updated trainer's room, strength and conditioning space, kitchen, coaching spaces, a much larger player's clubhouse, and a brand new indoor batting cage, which you can see. So they, they took the amenities and put them up back in that area. I believe that's what they're saying here. Okay, I haven't seen pictures of this. So you're saying that the, the batting cages are like at concourse level and it's like windows or, or, or screen and you can you can watch the guys do their thing? Yes. That's cool. Okay, so yeah. at Parkview Field in Fort Wayne, which happens to be my background on our Zoom call right now. Very nice. If you go up the first baseline, the hitting cages are right there. And so in the middle of the game, you'll see somebody come up and taking some swings as they're as they're getting ready. Like they the DH knows that he's gonna this guy knows he's gonna pinch hit uh later on. He'll come up and take some cuts in the middle of the game, and you can go there and stand five feet from the guy while he's taking his cuts. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Same thing with uh, same thing as in Amarillo. That was a part of their whole um project was you can be on the outside and you see them hitting from outside the stadium. Okay. Also in and outside, but yeah, so that's that's new. Uh, okay, so also, all of this, all of that stuff right there, that yeah. all speaks to compliance with the new uh, requirements yeah. of this new agreement with Major League Baseball taking over because they've talked about how they grade the facilities and how the ballparks are supposed to satisfy certain requirements, yeah. the square footage of the player clubhouse, having a women's locker room available, um, the size of the umpire's locker room. So yeah. with the facility that's, what, 25 years old? I think now it's a little older. Yeah. At absolutely. least 25 94. years old. Um, you you can't like just create more space underneath the ballpark. I, I mean, excavating and doing all that is a tremendous undertaking. Yeah. And so building a structure where you've got kind of open use space prior to this, that's a pretty good solution. I'm curious to see what this all looks like. Yeah. It's going to look really good. And that's where they're going to move. So right now they, uh, the storm are on the third base side and that's where their dugout is. That's where their clubhouse is. They're going to move over to the first base side and then the old home clubhouse and, and dugout is going to be the visitors dugout. So that improvement, you know, and and I'm not sure if they're going to improve that area. I mean, I sure could use it, uh, but certainly adding all these new structures and this renovations to the field, um, not only speaks to compliance, but you know, we've, we've been there. I've been in the clubhouse there, you know, it's a little bit dated and also, uh, it, it, that that space that can be you know the the batting cage space can also be transformed into an event space. So you know we always talk about what do you spend uh, the the place to create revenue or the place to make it better for the player. So not only is that batting cage going to be there for the for the players, but it can be turned into an event space where they can sell events and parties and stuff like that. So um, it's a kind of a dual use there, which I think is fantastic, and it would be nice to see more minor leagues kind of owners kind of do something like that where like, yeah, we're going to sit in the, the batting cages. This is where they have the batting cages. We're going to have dinner here for our event. Nice. So sounds, yeah. Sounds kind of fun. Nice. Okay. So I also see here that the out, the outfield fences have been updated with 12 feet of protective padding, including on the ad monster in right field. Are they calling it the ad monster now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if you've ever seen, like you've been to a storm game, you see the ball, or some some of those guys will bounce up, but you hear them, and it sounds like they're running up against cardboard. Or, you oh know, yeah, against, against particle board. You're like, it's just oh, a bomb. big plywood wall, yeah. and that's yeah. got to hurt to smash into that. And yeah, so we, ha- we're talking minor leagues, so these guys don't, haven't learned the awareness of when to slow down. You've got yeah. guys like that. What was that Portland Beavers game where that poor guy ran through the outfield wall? Yeah. <laughs> So that's good to know. And then one other thing that they've 
finally come around to update the restaurant that's up left field. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what they what they're calling it. It's named after one of the local breweries. I think the they've, garage garage brewery. Right. And so they've they've completed their renovations and that is going to be fully open this year. My understanding last year was that things were held up with with city permits and all that that typical kind of bureaucratic stuff that slows yeah. things down when construction. Um, so I'm curious to see how that, how that comes out too, but yeah. Uh, opening day at Lake Elsinore is going to be a must see event. And then on top of that, have yeah. you heard about what they're doing on the weekends? They, well, they explain this to me. I, I saw the ad. I saw the tweet. I saw everything. Is going to be a band? Is going to be like a pep rally band? What is it going to be? They're, they're putting together a pep band. And so throughout the winter, they kept putting out feelers like, Look at pretty much anybody who can play an instrument. And I I really want to know what this is going to be like. But I mean, OK, so we're watching the World Baseball Classic and some of these places you've got horns, you got people out there with drums and yeah. and all of this. And so now they're going to have a pet band there playing rally songs and all this. It's it's going to make a, a, a more fun environment. Well, it's really going to make it a more international environment because you're right. Like I, I saw God, what was the game I was watching uh, they were in Miami, and they had a whole horn section, a whole whole drum section in, like, how do they get those through security? Like, how do you get your horn through security? And they're playing. So that's that's kind of bringing the more international, the more fun side of baseball that you see in these uh, in the World Baseball Classic and in other countries, bringing it to the minor league experience. You know, that, that, that makes I me wonder, how many, how many subway footlongs can you fit inside of a tuba to sneak into a ballpark? <laughs> that could be, a, like, in between innings um, – game <laughs> oh hey yeah there we go oh i love minor so, league baseball it's so much fun so also now with the integration and we won't even talk about what major league baseball is probably going to have to do with bali sports and all the uh regional sports networks um now with your mlb tv subscription you get milb tv as well right yeah, so I wanted to throw this on here. I'm not sure exactly how this is gonna is gonna work from a from an interface standpoint, right. but it used to be that you had the MLB TV app to watch your baseball games, but then you also had an MILB if you wanted to stream the minor league games. Yeah. Now that minor league baseball is under the umbrella, the corporate uh, umbrella of Major League Baseball, they've now pulled that into the MLB at bat app. Um, and so their little spiel here, they say an at-bat subscription includes live and on-demand streaming content for minor league baseball, as well as new access to MLB audio and video features. Watch more than 7,000 minor league games on desktop or download the MILB First Pitch app for iOS and Android devices. I'm pretty sure the MILB First Pitch app is still going to be like if you wanted the, the game tracker, if you want the box score right. Right. and all of that kind of stuff. I hope that they fix the functionality of it because that has kind of frustrated me the last couple of years that clicking into a box score doesn't always do what you want it to do, or you can't follow through into like bringing up players, players profiles and all that. Yeah. Hopefully now that they've, now that it uh, MLB AM MLB advanced media is, has their fingers in here. Hopefully they're fixing all that experience, but being able to access Padres and Chihuahuas and tin caps and missions and storm all through one app. That's going to make it pretty cool. Absolutely. And I don't feel so bad now that, now that they are integrated that uh, Liddy, my wife uh, gets MLB TV through T-Mobile. Oh, and, okay. And, and so she gets it free. So therefore I get it free. I don't have to spend the, the 50 bucks, which I was more than willing to send to minor league baseball. Not going to have to send it to minor league baseball. Now I'll get it for free and then just, you know, have the app and, 
and get it that way. Right. Now, I haven't looked money. into that, but I'm 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 pretty sure that there's going to be a subscription level that allows you to listen to watch all the minor league games. Yeah and maybe listen to the major league content. You don't have access to the major league video because you don't want to pay the full, whatever $130 they want you to pay. Um, or you can pay the the whole amount and have access to everything except for what you're locally blacked out for. So there's this looming cloud that keeps getting darker and it sounds like there's going to be light through the storm, but what is going on with Bally sports and what diamond media group that owns them it sounds like they're going to file for bankruptcy on St. Yep. Patrick's Day while I'm going to be in Peoria. And then who knows what's going to happen to Bally Sports. But it sounds like Major League Baseball is going to make sure that they're, uh, that the streaming yeah. is going to be available somehow. Yeah, it's not everyone, too. It's it's just that the Diamond Sports Network, who you know is the, own, the parent company of Bally Sports, and you have Bally Sports Midwest, you have Bally Sports West, you have all the Bally RSNs. They're going to take it over somehow, and I read that they are going to be nego- they are currently negotiating with with cable providers to allow that to happen because there's licensing, there's um, there's just all that all the business side of it that really makes it kind of a pain in the ass. You just can't flip a switch, and then MLB takes over. Who's paying what? What's paying who? And all that kind of financial stuff. But that's what's uh, that's what I heard is red is going to happen. Yeah, these are the unfortunate reminders that there's a bunch of a bunch of millionaires and lawyers and executives that are all sitting in some room somewhere negotiating all this stuff. I just want to watch the guys play baseball. All right. And, and I want to watch them when they're in black, you know, a lot of other people can't. So I think they're also going to address that. Maybe not with this, but pretty soon they're going to address the whole blackout situation where you talk about going the game internationally when you really, you know, a, a, a city that's, you know, maybe 10, 15 miles away from like Kansas city. Well, they're in, kind of in between markets so they don't get the team that they want which is Kansas City but they may get like the Cardinals where they well they don't follow the Cardinals they're so there's parts of the country that are blacked out right there's like some part of Iowa that's blacked out from five yeah. different teams yeah. and if you're in Hawaii you can't watch anybody on the west coast i mean <laughs> there are things that just don't make sense yeah so I think I mean, we're really going to address that. Hopefully. I get it. They want you to subscribe to whatever Cox Cable or Spectrum so you can get Bally Sports in San Diego. I I get that, but there needs to be some alternative path. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. it comes around. It, it will. So, hey, let's throw it over to our talk and conversation with Sam Dykstra from MILB Pipeline and the Show Before the Show podcast. And you can reach me on Twitter at SD Donovan. I'm at Zippy <laughs> underscore TMS. Uh, here we go with Sam Dykstra. Hey, we're joined here with Sam Dykstra from MLB Pipeline and the Show Before the Show podcast. One of my favorite minor league podcasts, well, my really the only other minor league podcast I listen to other than my own when I need to know what I said. Uh, Sam, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great being here with you guys. Thanks for having me back. Are you surviving the Are you surviving the winter? I know you just got back from Florida, but are you surviving the winter there in New York? Has it gotten too bad yet? Well, so here here's the thing about winter in New York. We haven't had one really. We yeah. haven't really had much snow in New York City. Um, back home in Massachusetts, where my parents live, like they're getting eight to twelve inches here in the next few days. Um, but I have not seen much snow in New York City, and I'm kind of bummed about it. And every time I bring it up to my friends here, they get angry. And they're like, why are you tempting the gods? Stop doing that. Uh, we're talking here in mid-March. Like, I think the gods won't have much say when, much more in, in how much snow we'll get. But I've, I've been surviving just fine. 
I guess Mother Nature has been dumping all that on the Sierra Nevadas. Yeah, yeah apparently. I mean, I, I've heard more about my friends in California getting more <laughs> snow than we have this year. So, I um, so I'll be back in in Connecticut in about three weeks, uh, seeing my my father in law's birthday, ninetieth birthday, and uh, I keep looking every day. Okay, it's thirty seven overnight low. That's kind of cold for me. It's like, okay, is there any <laughs> snow on the ground? <laughs> Even in March. Um, so you you wrote the the top thirty prospect list for the Padres. Uh, even after all the trades, um, you know the the system has really lost a lot of its star power, but it still seems to have uh, plenty of names there that uh, can be really exciting to uh, to dream on, like Jackson Merrill and just recently Ethan uh, uh, Ethan Salas. Um, tell me what you know about you know Jackson Merrill. Yeah, Jackson Merrill was actually a, a very fun report to write up because getting to know him last year, getting to see how his game was translating. Obviously, he dealt with injuries. He was very limited um, at Lake Helsinki last year, spent some time in the complex, but he was hitting. I mean, it's, it's as you guys know, like it's tough to judge hitting in the Cal League. It's like how much of this is the mirage of playing in hitters parks and how much of this is a guy's actual skill set. Um, but the bat on ball was really good. The way he was spraying the ball around, the reports we were getting back were really encouraging. And then he went to the Fall League. And again, the numbers weren't like great, in the fall league, but being as young as he was like ending your first full season in the AFL was really good. And it, it, like scouts were showing up and me like, he looks like he belongs here in a league that again was tilted towards hitters, but he was fitting in really well talking to some people this off season. One thing that came up was his defense at short. I think a lot of people saw his size coming out of the draft and thought maybe he'll have to move to third at some point, or like he's not the fastest guy ever. He's even going to have to be at, at second and some of the reports the Padres were getting on his arm in particular were surprising them even, thinking like, this guy can make the plays deep in the hole and he can make the throw. So now you have a bona fide shortstop, a guy who's a candidate to hit 300 year and year out. I mean, we moved him into our top 25. That's where he didn't open the year in the top 100. And I'm interested to see where he can go from here. Like, if he keeps adding power, if he keeps showing good bats ball, I mean, he could be one of the most exciting shortstop prospects in the game. I, I guess that's where we like to point out that you don't read the stat line. Um, and that's the easy thing to go to. Uh, but we're, for scouts, people to go to the games, they're watching the quality of that bats. What kind of pitches is he swinging at? What's he laying off of? Um, what kind of quality of contact is he making on a consistent basis? And so we were seeing that going up to Lake Elsinore. Yeah. You'd watch a game and there'd only be one or he maybe may strike out once a game, if that, but more often than not, he's putting the ball in play and he's putting it in play hard on a line. Yeah, I mean, again, it was it was how is that power playing to all fields too, right? It's one thing to have like pull side power that young and just be selling out for it all the time. He wasn't doing that. It, it was I'm going to take the pitch where it's at. I'm going to spray it into the gap, you know, in, in left center for a double. I'm going to spray it into right center for a double. Like he was showing a pretty advanced approach. You know, when we look at our grading system, which is the scouting grading system, 20 being the lowest, 80 being the highest. Uh, we gave him a 60. I almost went 65. I had to be talked down a little bit just because the sample size is still kind of on the low side, but I could see him being a double plus hitter at some point, just because of that stuff you're talking about. The approach, the power that's in there, um, the contact ability. It's, it's all really special stuff. Well, you know, and really what he's done to kind of reaffirm what you're giving him on the 65 is how well he's done in spring. Like he's hitting in spring and he looks comfortable in spring. He looks comfortable, you know, out in the field. It's, um, and one of the things when you talk to the guy, he uh, he's just 
he's not oh shucks but he's just so matter of fact and he's just so relaxed it's not you know and when he answers any questions that you have it doesn't it sounds genuine like he sounds like a genuine he's a genuine uh young ball player and a genuine guy so that's what i like about him we we worked with him a little bit earlier in the season uh with a fundraiser with him and james wood and just was like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's do that. Oh, yeah. You know, just none of it was contrived or none of it was kind of like canned. It was just all very, um, you know, very honest and humble. And, you know, the, I met his parents later on, and I'm like, oh, that's where he got it from. The parents are just, <laughs> are, they're just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't met his parents yet, but, uh, you know, it seems like he's one of those real leader types. But yeah. you kind of have to be at the shortstop position. Like, you are the captain of the infield, right? Like, that's normally why you put your most most talented person there. You put your most talkative person there. So it's not a huge surprise to hear all these things about him. But I remember going back to last spring uh, and showing up in in Peoria and just asking around, like, who's looking good? Who's looking great? Whatever. One first guy I heard about was James Wood, who we now know was, you know, uh, going to have a special season given how tall he is and how fast he is and all that stuff. But the second thing I was told was, hey, whenever – the MLB side asks for like extra players. They're always asking for Jackson Merrill. And I'm like, this guy's from Maryland. Like he he's tall, he's big, he's whatever. He's your first round pick. But like this guy has not been somebody who's been playing baseball January to December every year. You know, he's got to be a little bit more limited. The fact that they are that excited about him already is comes down to that personality. I mean, you also look at those videos that the Padres always share every night of like guys answering questions going down yeah. the line. Merrill's a big part of it. <laughs> Veterans guess. are pulling him in being like, Jackson, yeah. you got to answer this too. And, and, you know, Padres fan events, Xander Bogart's pick yeah. standing right next to him being like, you're the future. Maybe I'm playing third base. You're playing short or whatever someday. Now Manny Machado signing probably screws that up a little, but still like recognizing this guy's a part of our future and we want him around right now. Yeah. And, and what he said to Bogart's was, uh, Bogart said, "Hey, you're coming to take my job," and and he was like, "No, I'm coming to, up to play with you, man. I want to win with you." Right. And you you don't hear that from a young kid. You go like, "Oh, Mr. Bogart, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm coming for your job." You know, just the confidence that exudes from this kid is phenomenal. Um, another guy I, I want to kind of talk about, and later on, we're going to spend some time on your co-host and good friend Tyler Mon. We'll talk a little bit about WBC because he. he getting the gig to go to Taiwan has been fantastic for him. I want to hear what a little bit more about what you've heard of, you know, Robbie Snelling. Yeah. So Robbie Snelling um, being a left-handed pitcher, you know, we were really excited about Dylan Lesko coming out of last year with Snelling. It's more just the fat, uh, the, the curveball, excuse me. He's, it's a really good curveball coming from the left side, being so young, doesn't quite have the change up there, has a little bit of a fastball. It's above average, um, but you get, you get those two pitches. And again, pitching from the left side, he's got size at six, three, like there's enough pieces there to see like he could be a number four starter in the major leagues. That ends up being their number five prospect, which, you know, we're talking about Jackson Merrill. That's a pretty high bar to set at number one. It trails off because of those trades, but I thought, you know, getting him 39th overall, getting a left-handed pitching prospect, if it works out is pretty good. So like Snelling, I'm excited to see what he can do this year. Is the fastball curveball going to be enough at Lake Elsinore? How are they going to use him on innings? Like there's there's a lot of interesting things there, but you start with the curveball because it's such a special pitch. Well, so you've got Snelling at what fifth overall right. uh, among the Padres top thirty. You've also got Adam Mazur and Ethan Salas and Dylan Lesko and Henry Williams. None of these guys 
have taken a single rep in an affiliated ball game. Right. How do you guys evaluate a player like that and slot them in that high in a, in a team's org rankings? Now, I understand that there's a lack of depth right now in the Padres system, but still, for these guys to just walk in off the street, essentially, and and float up near the top of the rankings like that, how do, how do you guys evaluate that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this comes down to amateur looks. Like, you know, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Tallis do such a great job of scouting the draft. They're, they're covering the draft every year for us. They're coming out with their own draft rankings, which are a scouting reports. So we, we've heard from guys who have seen these guys before. I mean, Dylan Lesko, I remember hearing about him two years ago yeah. of being like, he could be maybe a top five candidate. And then he go, undergoes Tommy John surgery, but the stuff is still there. Like just because he had surgery, we know it was maybe the best changeup in the draft. Like that doesn't change. Um, and a lot of this stuff happens on backfields and in instructs. So then you're checking in with people in the off season. What is this guy starting to do? Um, but just because it ha- we haven't seen it in the pros yet, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. So then you got to take what you know, what they've been able to show at the amateur level and try to project that forward. That's the whole point of a top 30 list to begin with, right? Is none of these guys are not none of these guys, but a lot of these guys haven't seen the majors yet. So we're just trying to project what they're going to be as major leaders. Right. Just because we don't have that minor league data set, doesn't mean we can't continue that practice. It's tougher to do. It's usually why, you know, comparing how I do a list versus how some of my colleagues do lists or other people out there do lists, I tend to normally knock draft guys down a little bit just because I prefer somebody who has pitched at double A. But you look at the Padres system, A, they had such a good draft last year. I think getting Dylan Lesko when they did was a shrewd move. Getting Robbie Snelling where they did was a good pick. They just had a good draft, and because that top – tiers is a little bit more barren than it was 12 months ago that's when we start slotting these guys in but ethan solace uh, i'm sure we're going to get him he's just such a special case and was one of the craziest people i had to rank this offseason and maybe the most aggressive i was on any player well okay so now we've gotten to see him play in an actual spring training game at the age of 16 which blew my mind when (laughs) i saw him in there and like i knew we were going to see him at some point but still and then watching the highlights after the game, seeing how how advanced his hands look and just how comfortable he looked behind the plate. On top of that, the way that he carries himself off the field, and I've never heard of a 16-year-old doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, he comes from a baseball family. Like, the, the, this isn't something new to eat. I know he's got you know older people in his family who have been involved in the game. His brother is now a Twins prospect, was a Marlins prospect. A lot of people think highly of him. I mean, this isn't new to him, right? It's not like he's entering the system and being like, how does all this stuff work? He's He's been t- taught it for a long time. He also has, like, some stateside experience. This is not somebody – they went and found in Venezuela. Like he's been on international showcases before he's been stateside again. His brother has helped him out in that regard. I'm sure. Um, So I don't think he showed up wide eyed in the way you would expect a 16 year old. But when I was ranking this and trying to find out, like, do I go Zavala three or solace three, or do I put solace lower in the top 10? Somebody sent me video of him catching you Darvish. They trusted this guy enough to catch you Darvish and you Darvish looked completely comfortable. Like this was not just like, we'll see how this goes, kid. He was catching them like he had been doing it all offseason. Yeah. Here comes the fastball. Get ready. Yeah. Get ready. This is good. This isn't going to be something you saw in Venezuela. 
Um, yeah, but how many 16 year olds have seen a, a cutter that moves in the last like five feet? It's straight. And then all of a yeah, sudden it right. takes that little, yeah. I mean, so many guys would be busting their thumbs or, or whatever on the, on those kinds of pitches. I most, I, what was it? Uh, Austin Nola was saying at 16, he was still trying to learn how to hit a breaking ball. breaking ball. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing is that I think he just is so advanced. And I think a lot of that comes down to the soft hands you're talking about he takes such pride in receiving and that's something we're seeing a lot more in the game now right like i think people the average fan knows more about receiving than they ever did about where you're framing how you're framing pitches how you're trying to steal strikes it's not just can you catch the ball and make sure it's not a pass ball it's are you stealing strikes now and to see his hands be as supple as they were and just receive it and it's not he's not picking it he's not right. stabbing at it He's getting it where it's coming in and trying to get strikes is really, really special stuff. And, you know, I, I'm not going to take too much away from his offense just yet. Him rolling over to second base. Great that he made contact. I guess that's the cool thing that got people excited. A 16 year old making contact in a cactus league game, but the receiving is is really going to be special. And if you have that down, it may take him three, four years to develop the bat, but then we're still talking about a major leaguer at 20 years old. That, That would be insane. Yeah. But then they're so, saying that even the bat was it is advanced for a 16 year old. Right. No, it is right. No, it is. But advanced for a 16 year old, like he's still going to see pitching that he hasn't seen before. And if it takes yeah. him four years, that's advanced for a, right. a 16 year old. Right. Like it, we can't. I know he's going to start the year stateside. He might end the year in Lake Elsinore. They're, they're willing to get aggressive with him um, because the defense is so good. But, you know, if he's hitting 270 this year. It's not going to pop in the way you would expect somebody with a plus hit tool to be. But again, graded on the age curve, it's going to be really good. So it's going to yeah. take a while, yeah. I think, for yeah. that to really come through. But it's it's in there for sure. You know, this is what I was telling Jonathan Mayo is even if it takes three years for him to develop, you know, we have Luis Camposano who is you know getting his first full uh, you know taste of the big leagues this year. Um, will one even be arbitration eligible by the time Salas may be pushing the way to come up? So it's like the the amount of uh, development that can happen in those three years still there's no rush and and there's plenty of time to you know to develop the skill set he needs yeah i mean I, I think nobody should ever be rushing anybody who signs internationally like that's just unless it's like you're somebody who's been posted from japan or korea or something yeah. like that but that that's not the case here like we're talking about somebody who is essentially the, the age of a high school junior um yeah, I was, the idea yeah. of rushing them to the big leagues because like oh we have a window and we signed all these guys and we need our best like he's not the guy to do that with if you want to talk about like maybe merrill trying to get aggressive with him and trying to complete the infield or something maybe but uh Salas is not that guy you want to push you want him hitting every market every level before you uh send him higher so uh dennis lynn came out in a, with an article in the athletic going kind of a deep dive into uh salas's first game but there was a sentence that kind of stuck with me he says it's been 34 years since a teenager caught big league pitching in the regular season yvonne rodriguez went on to become a first ballot hall of famer the rare exception in a sea of developmental busts and so i, th- I think that right there you're talking about three years three years would put him at age 19 <laughs> and if he catches a single pitch at age 19, that's something that nobody's done for over three decades. Yeah. And it kind of puts into perspective the kind of, of patience people need to try to have when they're looking yeah. at, but at the same time, it's so much fun to get excited about this kid. Right. I mean, and that's the other thing about catchers too, right? Is that they have to do physically more than like anybody else on the ball field. Like you have to crouch with every pitch. You have to catch every pitch. You have to be the person willing to stand in front of a 95 mile an hour fastball and have somebody potentially deflect it 
and then a have it just hit your chest yeah. or make sure it doesn't hit your finger. Like there are so many things that could happen along the way for catchers. He's starting out with a great skill set, yeah. but even to say like three years, I I'm still willing to go the over on that just because so many things could happen along the way. It's difficult to catch a hundred games in a season, but that's what he's going to need to do to get the at bats to bring the bat up. It's there's just so many factors that go into it, but yeah, well, can, there's he, all the work that, that there's all the work that they put in between games too. Yeah. all the game prep, all the planning, right. all that, all the stuff that needs to happen off the field. They have such a higher workload than any other position on yeah. the field. Yeah. And you don't see that more than this spring. I mean, anybody who goes down to spring training and you realize how many like hitters just go out and take BP and they take yeah. some field in practice and they're done. Catchers have to catch bullpens. They have to catch live BP. They have to get their own hitting in. They have to do their own defensive drills. Like, they have the longest days of anybody in spring yeah. training, and I, yeah. I am not jealous of them one bit. Well, I want to know that you said you saw video of him catching you, Darvish. We've only heard reports, you know, written in our media that yeah, he caught a bullpen, but there's actual video out there. So, I mean, if you want to you know, TMZ that video, <laughs> <laughs> I would have to check in with my. I I haven't tweeted it out because I didn't I didn't clear I it with my source, but he was just like. Here, I will show it to you, and I, and I was grateful for that. So I know it exists. I'm not just blowing smoke, I swear. <laughs> well, moving on to someone like, you know, um, Adam Mazur, I have, like, a bunch of these guys, once again, you know, we're here at A-Ball. We'll, we'll see everyone when they come through Lake Elsinore. Though we have not seen, obviously, none of these guys. What does Adam Mazur have? And, and another guy that I read a little bit about before I got on was uh, Henry Williams. Yeah, so Mazur is is more of a slider guy. Like, if... if um, Robbie Snelling, we were talking about, is more of a curveball, more of a vertical breaking ball. Mazur really thrives on his slider. He has a curveball too, but it's more the slider that's going to be really good. He also has the makings of a changeup. Like it's a four pitch mix potentially, and he was the Big Ten Conference Pitcher of the Year last year. Like he has steady success now. The Big Ten is not what it is in football, right? Like this is not right. the SEC, right? This is not one of baseball conferences. It's a lot of cold weather schools, but you know, kudos to him for doing that. Um, but you know, it was a 307 ERA that won pitcher of the year. This is not like lights out results that he was showing at Iowa. Again, like the, the pieces are there for him to be a starting pitcher. It's just his ceiling is a number four at best, unless some something comes along for him. Like it, maybe the fastball picks up a few miles per hour or the changeup sharpens into a true plus pitch. I mean, there's there's some stuff there uh for him for Mazer. For Henry Williams, uh, you know, he had Tommy John surgery. Too, you know, so he's, he's kind of along that same thing with uh, Dylan Lesko. So how do these guys come along? He doesn't have the ceiling of Lesko. He doesn't have that true plus plus pitch. That's why he was falling to the third round. But again, fastball slider are both there. That's something to dream on because even if he does need to fall back into relief as he ages, then you know, then we're talking a relief pitcher could work with those two pitches. It's just. You know, uh, elbow history, not great. But even that, like having two above average pitches and decent control is going to get you in the top 10 in this system. Yeah, the Padres have seemed more willing than than some other organizations to take a flyer on somebody who's coming off of Tommy John surgery, either before being drafted or shortly after being drafted. Uh, but going back to Robbie Snelling for one thing, one thing that I've heard kind of conflicting things. So he was more of a football player than a baseball player, I understand, coming up. And some people feel that that works to his advantage. I've also heard some analysts think that that there's something about somebody 
going from football to baseball that never quite translates, um, you know, as developing as a baseball player. Um, do you have any opinion on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I always come down to it's an individual basis. Like what are you seeing with this particular player? So with Snelling, yes, he was a quarterback and, and a linebacker. Um, some of the stuff that we've heard about that is like, he has that real attack mentality. He's always somebody who's searching out like contact. He's, he's willing to blow it by you. And that's a good mentality to have as a pitcher. I mean, Max Scherzer's gotten along pretty well with that mentality. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So like, that's where I think for him, it works well. I haven't heard anything that's like, oh, his mechanics are out of whack because he throws it like a football or something like that. I think he's been able to separate it pretty well, but yeah, I mean, there might be times where you hear about like, oh, he was a quarterback coming up and he got a busted shoulder because of that. And that affects things. I haven't heard that with snowing, but it's, it, you know, it, it depends on the player. Is uh is is throwing a football and throwing a gyro ball? Uh, is there some parallel maybe we could draw in there? I wish it was that easy. Yeah, I kind of want to bring that up to some of the guys I know who threw gyro sliders. Of like, are you just watching? I don't know. Well, what's the latest one? Is it the ghost pitch? Uh, who's the kid? Who, oh, the ghost um, fork. The ghost fork, right? That's yeah. the um Kodai Senga. Yeah, Senga. You know, it's funny, it comes in and it just disappears. You know, this whole offseason, you know, with Padres Twitter and, and the fans here, we're like, we're going to get Sanga. We're, you know, we're going to do all, all this stuff. We were, we were so invested in getting this guy. Um, and then when we didn't get him, we ended up with like Xander Bogarts. So we're like, oh, we got Xander Bogarts. Uh, like that was like a down. Like it was like <laughs> our, our consolation prize was Xander Bogarts. Now, believe we're me, living Sam, in bizarro world. As I know, right? Yeah, right we're now. talking about San Diego as a major market here. Like this is, I'm excited for you guys. To be honest with you, like, like it's see, seeing what Petco can be in a playoff atmosphere and seeing the players, the caliber of players that are now there and there for a very long time. Like Manny Machado, I thought he was opting out. It made all the sense in the world for him to opt yeah. out, and now all of a sudden he's coming back for a very long time. Is yeah. Amazing. And I wish that, you know, for every uh, major league franchise and every fan base, but it doesn't work that way. So enjoy it as as you guys have it. Well, you know, and, and with him, like they had interviews with him the day before he was going to, you know, they talked to him, are going to be a Padre in 2024? He's like, well, you know, he didn't, he, he isn't a really good poker face is what I'm trying to say. Like you could tell he, he said all the things you're supposed to say, you know, we'll see, you know, it's in their Padres hands. You know, this is where we set the deadline, blah, blah. But it wasn't like it wasn't there was an air about it that was like he the deal is already done. He's just he has to wait for the ink to dry. Um, right. So if you just read the quotes, that's one thing in the newspaper. Right. Then you but see if you the watch interview. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's all a negotiation tactic, right? Yeah. Like that's what it felt like to me is squeezing out maybe five, ten million dollars extra of saying like, <laughs> hey, I'm definitely opting out, even though I know we're negotiating this right now. Like, I, I don't know. I I, I watched some of that, and it, I I still thought he was going to do it, but it, it was clear that right. something was in the works. Well, real quick, what, what what are your thoughts? You're you're a baseball guy. What are your thoughts on these incredibly long, you know, like what five years ago it was no more long term contracts because of what happened with Albert Pujols. You know, none of these long ten year, eight year contracts haven't really worked out, other than like a Max Scherzer. But that's an outlier. Like, what are your thoughts personally as a, as a as a fan of baseball seeing these? Um, long contracts and what they mean. Yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated to see how they're going to age. I mean, that's the thing, but the other part is you are signing these deals to win now. Yeah. Like if it takes upwards of 10 years to bring Xander Bogarts to your organization and he's the guy who brings you a world series within three years, 
who cares what he looks like? Like right. Albert Pools didn't work out, right? Like they signed him to that long-term deal and they never got that World Series. So that especially ages poorly. Yeah. But if, you know, the the Padres signing Bogarts to this long-term deal and they say, hey, listen, it's 2033 and we're trying to figure out what to do with this contract. But hey, we have that banner from 2024 right. up there in the corner or 2023. I don't want to deny you guys the opportunity <laughs> this year. What happened? <laughs> Right. The idea of like signing these guys to long-term deals, making sure they're part of the organization and also spreading out the money yeah. because there is no cap, but there are luxury tax impl- yeah. implications. So if they're like, Hey, listen, I'm willing to give you $250 million, but if I can spread it out over multiple years and not go up against that luxury tax, I'll, I'm more willing to do that than sign you for eight years and give you $33 million a year and then have to finagle a roster. I, I so thought like that was interesting about what they did yeah. with the Darvish deal, that they were able to work the extension and lower the the cap hit essentially by a couple million dollars while making him happy long-term. That was, that was kind of a nice, happy medium. Yeah. I think there's like lots of ways that this is kind of benefiting everybody. Now, again, like what happens if the CBA changes again, like it, these contracts aren't going anywhere. They're all guaranteed and all that. Right. Like this is coming fresh off a new CBA and then we're going to negotiate another one here in a few years. So what, what happens there? I'll be fascinated to find out, but this was a fun off season. I will take fun off seasons. Yeah, definitely. Um, Real quick, before we go to break, what, you know, let's talk a little bit about the minor league, you know, the contraction and, you know, and the unionization of, of minor league baseball and how that's going. Do you know anything about that by chance? Um, Nothing that I've been told uh, directly about like what negotiations negotiations are for that. It seems like people are talking behind the scenes. It's much less high profile yeah. than CBA stuff from last year. Um, everybody's planning as if there's going to be a season. Like there's nothing to be worried about as far as I'm concerned. Um, I've been asking around of like what what's the status of all this stuff, and nobody's told me anything that's concerning about the 2023 season. Well, um, what is your thoughts on just like how quick, like overnight, literally overnight, it, it went to, okay, we're unionizing. And then the next day, the MLB Players Association is like, okay, we'll, we'll take you on. And man, it just happened so damn quick. Yeah, no, it really did. And, and the fact that MLB recognized the union too, like that also yeah. happened pretty quickly. I, I was wondering if that was going to be a, a whole thing too of like getting recognition and what does that mean for all these things? So that it, it happened pretty quickly. It, it felt like every something everybody thought was inevitable, right? Yeah, And it just, and so the first step happened. And if the first step happened, well, we were prepared for step two. Okay. Step two happened. We were prepared for step three. Now we have to get into the CBA steps and we'll see what's going to come out of that, but hopefully it's a, a better and brighter minor leagues. So you guys writing about all of this, was it hard for you guys to keep up with these changes as they were happening so fast? Um, I mean, I, I don't get too much into labor stuff as writing um, it in terms of following it. Not so much. Like, again, this is just stuff we always thought was going to happen someday. So, like, finding out, oh, this is what happened. Oh, this is what happened. It was just like, okay, great. This is speeding up the timeline. But in terms of, like, writing about it, following it, unless there's ever a work stoppage. And, again, I don't think there's going to be, and nobody's told me that there will be. Um, That's when it starts to affect my job. But otherwise. It just just seems like it's going to be a little more difficult because there's so many kind of t- intangibles that you have with minor league, with the housing, with, with travel, with, with pay and how that's going to work with different guys moving up and down. Uh, just, I think it's the minutia of that contract is going to take a little bit longer than I think maybe, um, you know, the hard line that you get in the MLB contracts where it's more also, about 
real big money than yeah it's also making something out of scratch right like yeah. when there are cba negotiations it's like what don't we like about the previous agreement right. and what can we improve upon it from both sides this is not creating something out of completely whole cloth but it's right. something that hasn't existed before so that's going to take some time so sam i want to bring it back to the article here we're, we're bouncing all over the place like a pinball um <laughs> So you had a few chunks here in your top 30 article. Um, the highest jump, uh, Nerwillian Cedeno, who you've got listed as second, third, and first baseman. He's been playing some shortstop in the uh, spring training game so far. He was unranked last year, and now you've got him all the way up to 12th. Uh, why did Mr. Cedeno see such a such a rise? Yeah, I think part of that, in terms of like why is he at 12, is again just like losing a lot of guys in the system. Maybe he would have been like 18th if everybody stayed, but still uh, – in talking to some folks about him, it, he's one of those guys who hasn't put up numbers yet, but he looks good in every aspect of the game. Yeah. He looks like he's going to be able to hit. And that's that's a big reason why we have him at 12 is just the confidence that as he ages, as he gets a little bit more tr- more mature, sees a little bit more advanced pitching, he's going to be a guy who can hit someday. Um, he's going to probably stick on the dirt where that's going to be, whether it's second, whether it's short, whether it's third. We'll have to see. I think he probably profiles best at either second or third. Um I don't think he's going to be a shortstop long term, but he may end up being that like versatile defender or versatile defender guy who can hit off the bench. Um, that it you know is valuable in, in today's game. I mean, the way we're seeing lineups move around, guys get off days. Like having a guy who can play three positions in a week is a big deal. Um, so we'll see how things are going to go this year. I think this is kind of a make or break year for him now that excuses have kind of run out. Um, but it seems like all the pieces are there for him to have a potentially big year. Right. Yeah. He turns 21 in three days. So he'll be able to buy his, his first legal beer. Uh, but he's a switch hitter too. So being able to play all over the place and having, you know, the, the matchup against both sides of the plate, potentially, I flexibility seems to be an asset in today's game. Um, I think it says something that they sent him to the Arizona fall league and he did, yeah. he did okay in the fall league, especially being as young as he is. Yeah, I mean, again, like, and another thing for him, too, is I think he was, like, Rule 5 eligible last year, which is, like, just tough for a guy that young is because you want to be like, well, they didn't protect him. They don't think highly of him. It's like, he doesn't, yeah, but so many guys were Rule 5 eligible. This is, like, the weirdest Rule 5 year ever. Yeah, yeah. and also, it. I mean, we're not seeing many hitters taken anymore. That's another thing. So if you're somebody who hasn't seen double A yet and hasn't proven you can hit – guys aren't being taken in rule five anymore like that. So I wouldn't hold that against him. He is still super young. He would essentially be going in the draft this year, like 21 year olds or, or when junior college juniors are being taken. So there's still lots of room for development there. It's been pretty good for a $300,000 signing so far, but I think this is the year when we can really start to see it, you know, the rubber hit the road. Right. So sure. what you mentioned right there about the equivalent age, that makes me think of Victor Lizarraga, um, mm-hmm. who had a pretty solid year in single A, but he was the age of a high school senior. Yeah. I mean, that's again, like you look at somebody who was signed internationally, how aggressive are they going to get with him? And they were pretty aggressive. I mean, moving him to the Cal League, throwing him in the deep end. That That's what I would consider the deep end, right? Like you're all of a sudden pitching in some of these really hitter friendly environments it's going to be tough to swallow if all of a sudden you have a high four ERA, but that says nothing about your ability. That just says more about the parks than anything. So I like the change up. I like guys who could be reverse split guys. Um, Is the breaking ball going to come along? We'll have to see, but I feel like the change up is normally the last pitch to come along. 
Um, it's just something a lot of guys aren't throwing in their teenage years. And for him to already have an above average one is a, is a special place to start. Where does he go from here? Like at what point does the lack of a really good breaking ball catch up to him? Could be this year, but he's got some good solid uh, building blocks. Yeah, his, no, his, go ahead. Uh, well, I saw a lot of him this year and talked to him a little bit in between uh, waiting for other interviews. And it was those things where he would he just, wow, that that's dominant. Like he had these three or four inning dominant uh, games and then just come apart and then lose everything and walk guys and just kind of lose the control. Um, and that's, but that, you know, once again, he's a high school kid in a ball. So you expect that. So I saw a lot of flashes of like, holy cow, like he's doing like, this is a lot to dream on. And then see it kind of fall off and go right there's the development. Yeah, yeah I then, found his, his I found his okay. personal story to be pretty interesting because yeah. he's he's from Tijuana, the border city, but he was actually going to school in San Diego. And it sounds like at one point he had the opportunity to make the decision of okay, do I continue with high school in the United States? Yeah. In which case I am a a uh, domestic draft right. category kind of a kid or right. do i go to academy in mexico and become an international signing um so being a fully bilingual kid who's already had to deal with some pretty pretty difficult decisions yeah. um as as a teenager i think that kind of sets him from a maturity standpoint that that says something about him yeah and it says it says something about his own confidence in himself too right like the willingness to bet on yourself and go pro that early because if you waited out a little bit longer, who knows like wh- where he could have gotten in the draft. Like if he, he was doing some of this stuff now in high school, I'm sure he'd be carving up high school lineups, you know? Right. Like maybe, I don't know. It, it would have been interesting to follow that and see where things could have gone. Um, but again, the fact that he's already throwing a good changeup, I think is, is a huge development for him. And um, to what you were saying, Donovan, about like falling apart later in innings or later in, in starts, that happens with some of these guys. It's yeah. just – you know, if you were in high school, you were pitching once a week. Yeah. And a lot of that still happens in the minor leagues, but it's once a week from February to May or June. Yeah. Now yeah. you're doing it from whenever you show up to spring training in March all the way through to September. It's difficult to do. It's it's yeah. difficult to pace yourself, and that's part yeah. of the learning process. I mean, at 18 years old, I was smoking, you know, cigarettes behind 30 all, you know, in, in senior in high school. <laughs> No, at 16, I was doing that. At, at 17, I was already up in the bear. Um, so the biggest the biggest drop you have on here is Kevin Cops. Now, Kevin, you know, when he got drafted, you know, everyone was saying, well, he could even touch the, the not the rotation, but he could be in the bullpen by the end of the year in September or so. And it just didn't seem to materialize. Um, you know, what, what can happen there? Yeah, I mean, he was one of those guys who a lot of – the pitchers we talked about so far, I've, I've tried to say like he has this good pitch and this good pitch. It's been two good pitches. What what is the next third pitch? Kevin Copsey was one pitch. Like that's just what he dominated with in, in college. He was a Golden Spikes winner, off the cutter. It wasn't Mariano Rivera quality, but it was like good enough in college to just be like this is what you're going to get. You're going to get a cutter. Try and hit it. And college guys couldn't, and so they moved him to Double A because they should, given how old he was, given his yeah. success already. There's no point in sending him to the Midwest League. So they sent him to double A. And Texas League is harder to pitch in than it ever has been. Yep. I think Amarillo is just throwing everything out of whack. But it's a <laughs> it's a hitter's league now. Yeah. And you really learn about yourself as a pitcher. Like you are going to get banged in that league. And how do you recover from that? And he just never did. And when you're looking at just one pitch, it's like, all right, it has to be special. And it just it wasn't special enough at the pro ranks. He could still be 
major league reliever someday, you know, you take your lumps, you move on. But as thin as the system is now, I think it's a little deeper than some people expect once you start going through the 30. And it's difficult to find a spot with a guy who just has one pitch. Right. And and any anytime you go into double A, uh, particularly in the Texas League, you're gonna you know, you're against advanced hitters. Like these guys have been around a while. So you, there's gonna be a, an adjustment period. And you know, in the Texas League, it's dry, hot heat. So you just touch the ball and it flies. You know, the infields are probably much more harder, much more faster than you would say in in you know in the Sally League, uh in double A back east. And although you said like Amarillo. I was told, like, because I play rec ball, like, dude, you can hit a home run at Amarillo. Like, the wind blows out. It's like Lancaster in, in, in uh, California where the ball just flies out. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's getting to. Like, you look at some of these numbers. I also do the D-back system, and Amarillo is an Arizona Diamondbacks affiliate. And it's tough to judge their pitchers yeah. because they have a lot of pitchers who have ERAs in the five and sixes. And it's like, hey, their stuff is the same. It's just they're hitting balls that would be – 300 foot fly balls that are easy outs all of a sudden are home runs. And those are three run home runs because you had two guys on and it, it throws everything out of whack. So it's, it's tough to evaluate those guys. You have to trust the reports and dive into other stats, but it's, it's doable. It's just, it's a more difficult test than it ever has been. Yeah. At that year that uh, Mackenzie Gore was going off in single a, they sent him up and he went up to double A and got absolutely smoked in one game. And I pulled up the box score and it was like a 25 mile an hour wind blowing dead out to center field right. at first right. pitch. And so, of course, he's going to get touched up. It's going to get out of hand real quick. He gave up like five or six earned runs, but then you spread that out over like five or six starts and it, it makes the whole stat line look bad even though you take that one game out and he was pretty darn good against yeah. advanced competition that year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that's the problem with starting pitching, right, is that you don't get to come out tomorrow and try to replay right. in a race and 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. Like you have to wait that extra extra time. So it, it can be difficult on some of those young guys. Um, but it, I, I, on the other side of the token, like there are going to be hitters playing in that league, too. And all of a sudden you're looking up and like, why is this guy have 25 homers? It's like, well, if he has a swing that elevates the ball, he's going to be able to take advantage of it. I mean, yeah. It's true of double A. It's true of triple A, as you guys know, for the PCL. Oh, yeah. We see that a lot in El Paso and El Paso for sure. Well, about Kevin Copps, we've heard that he's been working on a two seamer to get a pitch that works the opposite direction. So he can, you know, he can he can work both both directions of the X axis. Um, I'm curious to see just what happens after a full off season off after spring training, maybe working with some advanced tools, trying to do some pitch construction kind of stuff because he's a smart guy um and i'm not willing to give up on him the guy was too good in college the talent's in there it's just a matter of finding the right tools to put it together to to get past that 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 block that he's in yeah i I think that's also interesting about going east west because right now so much of pitching philosophy is north south it's elevating with the fastball dropping down the curveball or getting a changeup that falls off the table and and setting the eyesights that way so, like, how is that going to work for him? Well, let's see. It's because the cutter is so good. Like, that's what you have to do. You can't teach that guy all of a sudden just, hey, just develop a curveball. Right. That's never really how he's thrown. <laughs> so you need that two-seamer. And it could work really well. Like, he could be one of those guys that we're looking up a year from now and has one of those pitching ninja gifs where the ball looks like it's going down the same tunnel and then it just crosses each other. It could work. Um, it's just modern pitching is going north south now, so I'm fascinated to see how that's going to work for him. 
Okay, so you just got back from Florida, but let's talk a little WBC. Now, your co-host, Tyler Mon, I've listened to him. Like, I remember he tweeted a couple years back, like, I'll be doing the International 15U in Australia. Like, I think it was during the Australian League, the ABL League. And, you know, I stayed up to 9 o'clock to watch a few innings. And literally, he's at some really bad high school field, but, you know, announcing these. And I'm, that's right on Tyler. Yeah, dude. And you know, it's like some backwater field in the middle of the outback in Australia. And then, you know, he, he does it, what he does in the local area there in Denver. And I'm dying to get him on the podcast. Cause he's a Rockies fan. And, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and I'm eventually going to try to get him on the podcast. We're going to talk about everything, but you know, just tell us a little bit about Tyler and, and what doing the WBC means for him. And then we'll talk about what you think about the teams. Yeah, I mean, Tyler has worked extremely hard. You're talking about he had ABL experience before I even knew him. Um, I bring up anybody who's played in Australia or coached in Australia, and he's like, oh, yeah, the, I know this guy who knows this guy. Um, but, you know, he tweeted out this picture, I think, before the WBC started. And I knew this part of him. Like, nobody I know loves the World Baseball Classic more than him. Um, this goes back years, like, to when it started. He was flying all over the country trying to go to games, falling in love with it. I think he was at the Adam Jones catch game. Um, uh, you'll have to ask him about that. I I, I know he lo- we've talked about that moment, and I can't remember if he was there, but he was definitely at a lot of games for that classic. And he always had it circled of, like, this is something I want to call someday. And it's one thing to try to get a major league job and try to work other channels, but he was like, this is what I want. This is something I want to do. Yeah. And a way to do that is to call international baseball is to call these 15U tournaments yeah. and get involved with WBC qualifiers this year in places like Panama and Germany and all over the world. Like, just put your name in. Be the guy who calls Nicaragua qualifying. Like, be the guy who, who was the voice of the Czech Republic making the World Baseball Classic. Be the guy who knows all these stories ahead of time. And Tyler works really hard at all this stuff. He takes this stuff very seriously. He's not somebody who just shows up and announces a game and reacts to what's on the field. He loves right. telling stories. Well, and, and there's, there's one thing I could tell the guy, because he does, he just, I mean, he is a fountain of information. So you right. listen to the broadcast, and he's talking about some guy, you know, some guy from the Czechoslovakia who's some barista, and he's like, well, you know, he played a little bit of here and there and there. Like, he knows all this information, and it's just coming across, like, so free and easy. It, it's just amazing, the encyclopedia knowledge that he he has with the, with the players that he does. And I know that has a lot to do with prep, but just to have that kind of information is really phenomenal. I've really enjoyed listening to him and the home run calls and some of the stories that you've seen in the WBC this year. Like, the, like I followed the Czech Republic, I think, earlier last year. It was a Czech Republic baseball because I just follow everything baseball. Um, and the Pakistani team, and they were kind of vying for a qualifier, I believe. And, you know, and they won and made it. And it's just like, Great Britain made it like the, the sport has advanced so much in parts of the world where you never think it would. Uh, that's just so great to see. Yeah, no, it really is. And 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 Tyler having all those stories um is a testament to being there. Like it's one thing to like sit down and be, make sure you're studying the media guides and reading what other people have written and all that kind of stuff. But to his credit, and the reason why he got this job, this world baseball classic. Uh, job in in Taiwan was being the guy who was there 
who yeah. witnessed it firsthand. I mean, working with Ryan Roland Smith, like the two of them were together in a lot of these qualifiers. So they have each other to draw on. There's something to be said for that of not yeah. just parachuting somebody in and being like, Hey, react to all this stuff and, and bring some expertise you have from your playing days. It's like, no, what did you see in this guy before? And what can you bring to that table? And I think there's a lesson in that um, for a lot of assignments. And also the, the lesson I would take away from that is send Tyler more places. <laughs> like allow him to get all this experience yeah. and bring it to your broadcast because we've seen what he can do. And you mentioned his home run calls. I mean, him and I have talked about this, of like the art for broadcasting. One of the best things you can do is just say the thing and let it ride. Yeah. Letting those Chinese Taipei crowds just ride out the excitement of a Yu Chang home run has been yeah. awesome. And how him having the know-how he could have like put his stamp on it and been like, this is the greatest thing to happen in Chinese Taipei baseball history, like all this stuff and try to narrate it. The game's narrating itself. Yeah. You have to know that you have to put in the time to know that that happens. You have to study other people and he's done all that. And I couldn't be prouder of the guy. And that's gotta be so hard to have that kind of a moment happen and zip your lip and just let the moment breathe. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this about Tyler too. He loves baseball and he loves those moments as much as we do watching back home. Yeah. He's not there for the Tyler Mon moment. He right. is there for the baseball moment, capital right. B, capital M. So he wants you to enjoy that. I feel like I'm talking a lot for him here, but uh, no, dude, I'm absolutely. sure he could tell you guys this himself too. And I hope he does someday. And, and then he let wants that moment to come yeah. through. Like that's going to be the part of his reel is the moment itself, not his call, what he did, what he said. It's him being there, narrating the first part and just letting the moment take over and allowing that to sing. And that's difficult to do. It's really yeah. difficult, but he he, yeah. he makes it happen. Particularly when you're trying to make a name for yourself. And, you know, th- those that know and those that make those decisions recognize that. They they know that, okay, Tyler's letting that. You hear the crowd, you're like, oh, my God, the place is going to just implode. It was just yeah. going to implode because you just let it go. And you're like, you're just roaring like the Padre in the in the playoffs this year. Pekka was just absolutely off the – just incredible how loud such a small amount of people were um, – you know, but you hear that through just letting not having to talk. Um, so who do you have? Who are your, some of your guys that you uh, first thing? Is he going to bring you back something? Did you bring you back anything? Like a, I went to the uh, I, can't, a- I mean, that's the problem with him being in Denver and me being in New York City. We <laughs> talked about I'm a quarter Dutch. So like the Dutch national team was the team I was following. And All right. um, and so he the Dutch national team was in Taiwan. Him and I talked about getting a hat, but I don't know if I ever followed through on that. I can. He sent me the link for where to buy it online, so I, I'll get it at some point. Um, but no, I don't think he uh, directly is bringing me anything back other than his own experience, which is probably <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> He's still on a pretty low budget, right? He's still, yeah. He can't charge that going at Sam Dykstra, when hat, when jersey. So I, I have a question. In, yeah. in Asia, they've got the towels that, that they have for all the different players and stuff. I see your collection of scarves up behind you. Maybe yes. you can bring you back some uh, some car some Chinese Taipei player scarves or something. I mean, I need to put in like written requests for all this stuff next time, and instead of <laughs> like him and I talked about it, it's going to happen, and then he gets swept up. Like I said, it's, yeah. it's a doubleheader every day that he's calling of the biggest games of his life. A friend from home being like, "Can you get me a hat?" Which is going to set everything off. So like, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't play that card, but maybe next time if I get it in early, we'll make right. it. Right. Yeah, he's still so forgetting his, his tie, background right? Use a few, right? A few new things, I think. <laughs> he's still forgetting his tie. He's still worrying about phone calls in the middle of the night about his warranty or something like that. Um, he's like the most 
most incredible night, most, you know, biggest night of his life. He gets a phone call at two 30 in the morning uh, for some reason. And it like, it just keeps him up all night. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the problem of international travel, but keeping your regular phone phone plan, I guess. Well, Sam, dude, it's been great catching up with you. And uh, I, I'm just so happy for your success. Like I told you when we were texting back and forth, like all the time you see the MLB, the MLB pipeline stuff, you're always talking to you, you know, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, but you're now into that mix. And, uh, you know, seeing you write so much about MLB pipeline and not just on the MILB uh, website. So it's been fun watching you uh, develop or, you know, just kind of grow as a, as a writer and a contributor and content maker for MLB Pipeline, and we're watching your star rise as well, not only just <laughs> Tyler's. Um, ben is in his own secret world. You know, I love, we've had Ben, we had Ben on right, like we just started the podcast, and he um, and he just went to his last minor league field that he, like the last one, and he's done them all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we didn't know what we were doing. Hell, we still don't know what we're doing now, but like we didn't know what we were doing. He didn't know who we were, um, you know, but then, you know, you guys came along. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say other than just like, we're stoked to have you on here, stoked to catch up. And we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. You'll, you'll have to have Ben back on. I mean, it's, I'm sure a lot has happened in the minor league landscape since that time. Um, and you know, I, I mean, it seems like he's in his own world, but he's, he was behind me today at work. So yeah, it was. He, he gets plugged into the minor league universe and I have to pull him out every once in a while. I'll just ask him a question, but um, he's working as hard as ever. So I'm sure he'll have lots of fun stories at some point to share with you guys. Uh- so I know yeah, we we tend to we, we we tend to focus on players and about like the business side of things, but when we talk to Ben, it's about the fun part of baseball. Yeah, yeah. about the the show outside the field, the show outside the lines, and that kind of brings it to a whole different context for us. Yeah, I mean that's that's the great thing about Ben. That's why I, I love talking to Ben because he has you don't want to talk about a wealth of knowledge and just being everywhere. You can ask him like, hey, what's a good breakfast place in Clearwater, Florida? He can tell you. And then like (laughs) driving last year, him, uh, Kelsey Hennigan, another colleague of mine and me, we drove to the Field of Dreams game in Iowa from New York. And we would roll into a minor league town and just be like, who's around? Who can we text? And Tyler or Ben pulls out his Rolodex and knows exactly who to reach out to and then says, I stayed here and we can go to this place. It's it's incredible. It's I'm really lucky to have the colleagues I do. That's if anybody yeah. takes anything away from this, like uh, that's that's what I want is um, I'm really lucky to work with some of these people and they've rubbed off on me a lot. And that's yeah. that's how I've grown. I'd reached out to Kelsey, too, once, but uh, it was a long time ago and she never got back to me. So I I don't want to be the creepy guy. That DMs, hey, come on. our podcast, <laughs> <laughs> Just some random guy. Um, all right, man. Well, we take care. Uh, what do you got working on next? What do you got coming on? What uh, is going to come out from Sam in the near future? Yeah, I mean, we're we're in opening day mode now, right? Like, we're getting prepared for the season to come, so it's a lot of planning of, like, what are we going to do for opening day? We're going to have our farm system rankings coming out, uh, I believe, next week, once the WBC is over. So check can, back on that, see where the can you spill? Can you spill some tea? I can't, because we haven't, I don't, I've, like, No one my, listens to this podcast, like, me, no, my I wife, know, and his wife. But I'm going to say something, and, like, we have not had, so it's me, Jim, and Jonathan who work on it. I've said my 30 very preliminarily uh, and I'll send it to them and they'll, we'll mix it all together. So I could say something and they could completely disagree with me and it's going to look bad uh, by the time it's out. So So do they pull rank on you like that? What? Do they pull rank on you like that? No, no, no. It's, it's, (laughs) it's very much a democracy. Um, The only time we pull rank is if like, it's my system. 
right? So uh, if yeah. if we're all over the place with the Padres and trying to figure out where they go and we need a tiebreaker, I'll serve as a tiebreaker because I know the system better than the other two. But oh. we all know a little bit about all 30 systems, and it's it's one of my favorite projects every year. Well, hey, do me a favor. When you talk to when you text Tyler next time, say, hey, Donovan from Friars and the Farm is going to reach out in the next few uh, few months or so and have him come on and just talk uh, just talk WBC and talk about the, and talk about the Colorado Rockies. we, we got to yeah, let I'm him sure come down off do this high for a minute. You, it's going to be a while. Yeah, uh, he'll be glad to do it, I'm sure. All right. You can, you can share all the bad Sam <laughs> stories, too. So there you go. <laughs> so Sam said off mic this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us. We always appreciate getting together with you. Yeah, this was a blast as always.